Hello, everyone. Welcome to this new episode of Carolyn Talks. I'm your host, Carolyn Hayes. So this is the podcast where I speak to film creators about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today, this is a special episode for my coverage of the 2022 Toronto International Film Festival. And in this episode, I speak with actor, writer, director, editor, and producer Anthony Shim to talk about his debut feature film, Rice Boy Sleeps, which had its work premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. I also speak to actress Chae Sung Yoon and cinematographer Christopher Liu about their work in this film and how it touches on many different topics such as immigration, racism, the difference between assimilation and integration into a new society, particularly Canada, because it's set in Vancouver, Canada in the late 90s. And anyone who grew up in that era is very familiar with some things that happened. And we talk about how many things still have not changed in society, such as racism and how immigrants are, are treated, as the film focuses on a young mother and her son who immigrate to Vancouver in the 90s from South Korea. I had a fantastic time talking to them. This is one of my... I, actually, you know what? I, I always have fun on all of my interviews, and it was great to talk to them. I wish we had more time, but I appreciate the time that they gave to me to speak to me, and they were very thoughtful and honest in their answers, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for talking with me about your film, Rice by Sleeps. Um, I really like this film, and I really enjoyed it, and I'm an immigrant, so I'm originally from Barbados, so I find like I'm always more attracted emotionally to films about immigrant stories, especially here in Canada, because I'm an immigrant to Canada. And this film touches very, um, I think very bluntly and very blatantly about how immigrants in Canada are expected to assimilate. And I find especially Asian immigrants, because like the something that I've been here 14 years and I still can't wrap my head around as well. Uh, people from other countries where English is not their first language, they're always expected to change their names to fit in. And that's one of the first things the film addresses. So for each of you, um, what was it, What when you first started working on the project, like for you, Anthony, you wrote and directed this film. What, like, is this a part of your own personal experience? Very much so. Um, a lot of it, if not most of it, um, is inspired by things that I personally experienced mm-hmm. and went through, that my family went through, or or close friends friends and family experience. Mm-hmm. So almost everything is based on mm-hmm. everything that I know and, and it's very and the story is very personal to me. Um, and um, you know these things that occurred that I at the time that I felt like, oh you know, it's only happening to me, it's only happening to our family and it's only it's only me that feel this way. It turned out to be very untrue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that as I got older and as I met other people other immigrant families these are all really really similar things that occurred to a lot of other people as well mm-hmm. um, so and I felt like it, you know I never I never saw that I could I never saw that on film in the way that you know I, I that I experienced yeah. so that was what motivated this whole story to be formed so when you when did you start working on the film like developing the script and the story and then eventually production well I decided I mean I'd always thought you know I, I want to make a film about this topic um, and then I men- ended up making the first film that I did um, because it was just something that I felt like I could manage doing for the you know for a really small amount of money opposed to this is something that I knew that it would require a bit more because we had to shoot in two different countries yeah so then I just after the first one I decided to do this and it took from the time I started writing to the time we finished the movie completely, I think it was like 26 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was about that. That's kind of quick, actually. That was very quick. Yeah. Um, but also, it was during a pandemic <laughs> where I couldn't go outside. <laughs> so I had, you know, I was able to write mm-hmm. a lot more and a lot faster. And we were able to get a pre production happening a lot quicker because. Everybody's home. <laughs> yeah. You know, like meetings could happen right away and, and things could get done a lot quicker. People didn't have as much excuses to, you know. To, to say, to pull back and say, oh, yeah. you don't have the budget all this time. You, know, you yeah. have the time. I know where you are. You're at home. <laughs> exactly. <Just> everyone else. <laughs> yeah. And for you, Yoon, how did you become involved with the project? Um, I took auditions. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, one of our common, can I say, friends, like the, the casting director, 
Betty Christine. I knew her through from my first documentary film that I made and that was invited to present as well. So I met her in previous festival and she was trying to make me like she suggested to me like would you wanna to do act? So at the moment my answer is no, I'm a dancer and blah blah. But later I met her again and she asked me again, so here is a here is a like audition opportunity. So I think it's really good like fit fit for you to you. So at the moment I just say why not? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, let's let's give a chance. Yeah, I think you did a terrific job, especially for your first um feature acting role. Like you did a terrific job. But I did my friend was like she's a ballerina and I'm like that makes sense because the way how you move your body is very um, fluid and still very soft and that actually works really well with this character because like she's a hard and soft character she has to be harsh where she's telling um, Do Young like how to stand up for himself and then she's soft in the moments of vulnerability like when she gets her diagnosis and when at close to the end where she is meeting his uh, father's family and then in those quiet moments so for you in particular because this story is an immigrant story and you're from South Korea like when you were reading the script and you were looking at the story what was your reaction to finding out how immigrants and how South Korean immigrants in particular are treated in Canada this film is set in 1990 to 1999 but it's still the exact same way fortunately mm. but yeah um yeah I'm not an immigrant and mm. I'm not a single mom so but at the like before we shooting, mm -hmm. Anthony and I shared a lot of like movies or documentary or the pictures or like songs from that period, 90s or 80s or 70s. And we talk about, uh, he shared a lot of his story and his family and many things. So I, I, I learned and I study, I did research a lot. But to be honest, like like my under, my understanding of Soyoung as an immigrant uh, came later. Mm -hmm. I came really later after maybe we finished the shooting. Mm, it was only after you finished the shooting yeah. that you really started to really think yeah, about her experience. Yeah. Ah, that's interesting. So, what was it about that that you like? What was you? What were you thinking about after that? Because that's interesting that you like really sat with it afterwards. Um. Well, also, yeah, we we shoot this film during pandemic, so there were no like no tourists mm. in the city in in Vancouver. Yeah. So that was kind of like made me like feel really lonely mm. yeah because I yeah so that kind of environment and circum circumstance make me like can give me word like yeah I mean you said there's no distractions there was mm. no there's no sense of like uh, um, being a tourist visiting a country opposed to you know she showed up and there was nothing going on and so she really just had to kind of immerse herself into this environment um, mm. and, and immerse herself into this project because that was kind of all there was to do it in a yeah. way at the time. And also, like, when, when I was visiting to Vancouver for shooting, so I knew that I'm, I'm a visitor. So I have, a, I have my own home, house in Korea, so I will be back. But I came back to Vancouver again to do ADR mm. and to, to do some post-production. And at the moment, I was thinking, maybe I can live here. Mm. I, I was con considering to move to like Vancouver or like somewhere else. So the moment I, I thought, huh, that, that gives, me, gives me so much difference, mm. like feeling to mm. me. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. I've never been to Vancouver. I've been here all this time. I've never gone back. Like, because flying from flying from here to there is like ridiculously expensive for no reason. We were just talking about that. I don't understand. I'm like, I'm on the same continent. Why am I paying the same price to fly home to Barbados as I would fly just to fly across? Yeah, it's no crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's absurd. Um, and for you, Christopher, like for you, like when you became involved with the story, is this like, is it like similar to your own background or to people in your life? that helped you to like develop the tone and the look of the film? 
Yeah, I mean, speaking of how I could relate to it, I, I mean, I was born in Canada, so, um, but I think something that speaks to what's so special about Canada is that I have so many friends who are all, I mean, all my friends are from everywhere around the world. Um, and they had very similar experiences talking about the having a different name when you're when you're growing up. Um, a lot of my Vietnamese friends, um, a lot of my uh, Chinese friends, even my dad and my uncles, they all have like their white names, yeah. which I don't know. It was like we kind of knew about that really early, um, really early on, but we never really questioned it or or thought about it. But yeah, my dad's name is Henry. But that's not his actual name. Um, even my, I like my dad gave me a Chinese name. Yeah. Um, I know which that. Is, yeah. You mean <laughs> <laughs> hiding that secret from everyone? I know. No, I ashamed of your heritage. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you you made me think of it, which is great. Um, but no, my my dad gave me the name Wayne Ken as my Cantonese name. Nice. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I mean, as far as the the look, um, I think it was just an amalgamation of everything. Um, uh, something specifically that was sort of a motivator for how we chose to shoot it was um, when I first read the script and every iteration of, of the script that Anthony sent me, uh, it always started with the opening monologue that you see in the film. And um, I don't know why exactly, but for whatever reason, I always read it as the father saying those lines. Mm -hmm even though Anthony never explicitly wrote in the script that this is the father, Munchik speaking. Um, and so knowing that, I, it, it really informed how I read the rest of the story, which was very, um, it just felt like I was reading it through the eyes of this character. And then that created this idea of, well, maybe we see and approach the shooting of the film through the eyes of a character in the room with the with the other characters. And so how would this, how would the father react? And so I, Anthony and I talked about this idea and he was very on board for it. And I think we both were really nervous about it because it was a very bold um, and I think sort of risky approach, especially for a low budget project, also shooting on film. Um, but we went for it. And I think it's also a testament to um, the fact that Anthony has such a, a long history in theater, um, I think was also a big, uh, a big draw because it became, it sort of unlocked this very theatrical approach, um, embracing these really long takes. And so once Yoon and Ethan and everybody was getting into it, it was like everything had to be dialed in and it almost was like a little bit of a play. Yeah. Every scene sort of unfolded like this singular play, um, which was really exciting. I think it was exciting for the cast, it was exciting for camera, because every take was a little different. It was, um, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes we would try to be very meticulous in planning out exactly how it would be, like where the camera would go, and then we would try a couple takes, and then Anthony would be like, but, like it, I don't know, it felt like we were trying to get there. Mm. And so oftentimes he would just tell me, just go for it. Like, just feel it out. And I don't speak Korean either. So <laughs> like, so they would, Yoon would be really helpful and give me like keywords and she would like say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, let's pan on that line. And then you'd be like, what line is that? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Just listen. Yeah. It's, like, it's all in Korean. I'm like, oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. But they would give me certain lines and then I would know, okay, I need to be here for this line. I need to pan off on that line. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. I feel like once, once we got into it, Anthony saw that there was a certain energy. If, it, if I was acting as much as a character and reacting to what I was seeing, instead of really trying to be mechanical about it. And it just, it made a lot of really exciting. And I think um, it gave a lot of the scenes, a lot of emotion feeling to it. No, it did, because as you were talking, it just made me think, because while I was watching the film, I, I picked up that it doesn't really film from the first person perspective. It films more from the third person third person perspective. Mm -hmm. And as you're talking, like I, I just went back to how this film is about Wan Shik isn't there. 
Like, had he still been there, would So Young have been gone to Vancouver? Would she have immigrated? I probably more than likely not. But like, especially in South Korean culture and Asian culture, they believe in ancestors and ancestors still being present, and the people who passed on still being there to watch. So, like, as you're mm-hmm. talking, I was thinking, yeah, it would work as as watching. His presence is still there, watching them, especially for Doyon, because like Doyon doesn't until segment turns up. Doyon doesn't have a male father figure and he's like he doesn't have a grandfather he doesn't have an uncle but one chick is just there it's like, like I see what my I see my family struggling but there's nothing mm-hmm. I can do to watch it especially in the in the very end where they're walking down the hill it's like he's like okay they're fine so I can go now yeah so let's kind of she watched the movie <laughs> 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 yeah because when, when it pans out it's like I'm, I just pictured in my head okay so his spirit is like okay my family is they're they're fine for now until I'm not going to spoil it but until what happens happens he's like they, they can go on now because they, they'll have Simon as well and the connection to the, to his family because like now that he Doyang knows who his grandparents are he knows who his uncle are so he has a family connection he has a, um, a support system mm-hmm. and um, so we talked a bit about the naming of the film so the naming in the film so the thing with, the, with this film I always get upset with these kind of things because um, where like the the scene where like the teacher goes to Soyeon and say I have a list of names that I think might suit him I was angry I was legit angry I was like this heifer because I'm like who are you to go and tell this woman like I'm gonna give your son these list of names for you to pick up and like for me like in Barbadian in Bajan culture and like African culture and I know in like Asian culture too like it's very important how you name your children your like how you name your children is important like it means something mm-hmm. and so for someone else to come and say uh, this is what I think you should name your kids. I was just like, ooh. And the thing is, is that I used to work at a, um, at a public school here. I only literally just resigned early this year, but I worked at a public school here in Toronto for probably about seven, eight years. And I, and it's predominantly Asian, predominantly and Southeast and East Asian. And like for the kids, like they have their white names and they have their Chinese names. And I would always, always ask the kids, I'm like, which name do you prefer me to refer you by? Would you prefer me to refer to you by your ancestral name, your Chinese name, or would you prefer me to refer to you as the as the like the Western name? And ninety times more than 90, like ninety times, it would be like I would prefer you to call me by my Chinese name because that's the name my parents call me by at home. So for you guys, when like for those specific scenes where there's scenes like for me, as I, I would say, emotionally charged, where you just write like, "Whoo, white people, you're trying." Um, but for but for each of you, just talk about. I need mean, to talk about like for how important names are for you because I used to, like, you didn't even think about like how your your dad gave you a a Cantonese name. But like I think that's a, such an important part of who we are as an identity because our names are who we are referred to referred to by. You know, like no, like if anyone does that I, that, that I don't know doesn't call me by my name, I ignore them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be like, who are you like talking to? You know my name, call me by it. So for each of you, like what, like what does the name mean to you? Because I think that's such an intrinsic part of the story. Like you named the film "Rice Boy Sleeps," and like "Rice Boy" is used as a derogatory term for Do Young and for Asians. And you were just like, I kind of read it as like the name actually gets put to sleep by the end of the film. Like he's like, "I'm not Rice Boy. You can't call me that." That's good. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard that one. Um, that's really good. Uh, well, I mean, I always thought that you know. Different people have had different mm-hmm. takes on that. Um, for me too, it's just like, like his background is, you know, he's from a rice farm. You know, it's, that's where his family's from, and that rice is not something to be ashamed of. It's mm-hmm. just, it's the fuel for life, um, and that the term that is used derogatory, you know, in a manner of being called a rice boy, it's like, well, that's like if you look at another way, it's just like there's pride in that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, to me, it's like, it's that part of yourself that, that's dormant. Yeah. Um, and for my name, I mean, my situation was a bit unique in that I grew up hating my Korean name. Mm-hmm. It was, um, what was your, what's your Korean name? My last name is Shim. Mm-hmm. So it's Shim Myung-ho. Shim Myung-ho, okay. <laughs> and, uh, it's tough to pronounce. It's when not, you, though. Well, like, when you read it. The way it's spelled, M Y U N G. I can, I can, but maybe it's just because I can read Korean, so I can. Well, you can read Korean. I can read Hangul. What? Uh, yeah, I, did, I was taking Korean <laughs> courses a while, but I took. Yeah. I can read Hangul. I just need my dictionary to tell me what the heck I'm reading. Sometimes. Well, you're yeah. you're an exceptional case. <laughs> <laughs> Most people, it is hard to pronounce, you know, and so 
Um, and it's in Korea. It also rhymes with about a gazillion insults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the most common, it rhymes with stupid. Yeah. You know, and the word bow is used to kind of, you can just t- tack it on to kind of like any any mean word in work as an insult. So I grew up just being, I hating that game and just hearing so many different insults as a kid in Korea. And so then when we came here and, and, and then now that name was being teased for different reasons. And I'm like, this name sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and then you guys make fun of it every language. Oh. And so then when the teacher did, you know, suggest to my mom that maybe adopt a, a new name, mm. um, you know, I didn't know, like, it's such a strange thing. And I, and I hated it and fought it and I hated having to change my name because I thought, like, I don't know. I don't know what name. Like, you're asking me to decide as an eight-year-old in a language I don't know what I want to be called for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And so then she gave us the four options. Just swap out David with Anthony. And, and <laughs> those were the four options I was given. And, and and we went with Anthony because, similar to the movie, that was the only one that our like close family <laughs> friends didn't... <laughs> Mm-hmm. didn't take already and so I was like well I guess we'll take the one that no one else has to me <laughs> mm. and uh, I've actually really grown to love the name I think it I, I don't know if it's the, the name has become more like me or I've become more like the name but I, I didn't think it's a good name that I've, that I've adopted um, but it's I don't know it's tough it's mm. tough and I encourage now people who you know Korean people who come to Canada now you know, they go like, oh, I'm trying to find a name yeah, or things. Exactly. I don't use your name. Use your or name. use your var- a variation of your Korean name. Yeah. Um, like like Yoon does. Um, you know, because it, you, you are emotion, emotionally connected to your name. And I think it, it it's, serves to be a, such a big part of your identity and your self-identity. Um, I don't... I don't hate white people, you know. <laughs> I, I just like, I know that you hate them, but they can be they can be challenging to deal with as a person of color. But it's interesting that so many people have have been have reacted to that scene and that character. I because when I when I wrote it, I thought I was like, oh, this is funny. I'm like, I was like, these are the funny scenes in the movie, um, because I I believe that that teacher when I was a kid. She was coming from a good place. She recognized that kids were making fun of my name and, and, and the way she was pronouncing it. She was doing her best, but it still sounded inaccurate. In her mind, I'm sure I'm assuming all of these things. Um, and that she was trying to help me out, trying to help my mother out, because my mom also didn't know any names. And so, I mean, we, and we did rely on her to advise. Um, so in hindsight, you look back and you're like, "That's kind of messed up." It's presumptuous as hell. Sorry, but it is. It's presumptuous. But at the time, <laughs> yeah, it just it, it was kind of how it panned out, and, and and it didn't seem to me. I never saw it that way, and I get. I know what you're saying, and you're right. It is, but I don't know. I think I, what I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's just really interesting. Yeah. Um, that whole situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for you, So Young, that scene, um, it ties into how um Do Young gets bullied because he like that's the first instance that she realizes that these Canadian people aren't as welcoming or aren't as understanding as I expect because there's that scene and then the scene with the principal. And so for you, playing um, a, a mother who's a single mother and she has her own struggles at work because I think she's a fantastic character to like the scene where she tells off the guy in the factory I love that scene I love that she immediately like tells him no this is unacceptable and she's like I will kill you and I was like for I'm like when I want because I watch so much Korean content I'm like they said I will kill you so easily but like <laughs> they either say I, they say you want chubale, you want to die with the rest and I'm like okay but like for you I love the, how strong and how um how under but so patient she is because she's she tells Do, she knows that Doyoung is struggling, but she realizes that I need to tell him to be bold and to stand up for himself. And she's like, "Don't accept anything from anyone. Don't accept any bullying." 
So for you playing the, playing this role as a, as a single mother and as someone who has her own challenges, but she's like, I have to make sure that my son is confident in himself and confident in his Koreanness because she's like, you, there's nothing wrong with you. She's like, your, your face is beautiful. Your features are beautiful. So like, how did those scenes work for you? Mm-hmm. How, how does it work for me? Like, how did you, like, when you were playing them and when you were prepping them, like, how did that help you to, like, not only connect with the character, but, like, as you were talking about wanting to live in Vancouver and, like, you were saying, okay, like, this is what it would be like living here. Mm-hmm. I mean, Soyeon is a very proud mm-hmm. woman, so she never regards herself, like, she knows she's minority in this society, but she never take herself like small leader. She, she never she never sees herself as a victim. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. victim. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I think Soyoung so was really try hard to teach Donghyun in this way. Yeah, you're okay. You're not a victim. Where you you should take care of yourself because nobody will protect mm-hmm. you and even mom cannot do it so you mm-hmm. have to be strong so Soyoung was really trying to teach Dongyeon in that way and yeah so I, I, I mean and the character is did grow up as an orphan too in Korea you know that's a big part of what shapes yeah. her, her mentality yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the life the life for Soyoung is is just like survivor, only mm-hmm. survivor. So she she need to protect herself mm-hmm. from the sorry <clears throat> from the beginning. So so always like she yeah yeah yeah. No, I get it. I get it. She, yeah. she is a survivor because yeah. she's like. Her the way she grew up as an orphan, and then um like in the film like in the in the beginning it says like um children born out of wedlock at that time I think I think they probably changed the law weren't allowed not to that long ago. not that long ago like her so I got some some um steps to continue making but like they weren't recognized as citizens so she's like looked at as an outsider within her own culture which is always an interesting part for me. As a as an immigrant, also as a person of color, where you could be within your with your own people, but still be treated as an outsider because of certain cultural um, beliefs and, and understanding. So she has that, but then she's also um, an outsider within Vancouver, and for a time even outside of her own home because she's now dealing with a teenager who's hormonal and rude, and she doesn't know how to communicate with him. So for so filming those scenes in particular, where Doyoung is so angry. I'm frustrated with her, especially when she's like, I'm sick, you know, and she's like, but she's trying to hold on to her own anger. She doesn't want to lash out at him because I think that's a beautiful thing in the film too, where she never really loses her patience with him. Yeah, but I think the most important thing to Soyeon is not about what happens in her life, mm-hmm. what, how many tragic, tragic things happen to her life. I don't think this is not the point. The point is that how she deal with this the difficulty and carry on her life. Mm-hmm. So I think so Soyoung, yeah, Soyoung is a, like that makes me Soyoung special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Soyoung really want to teach Dongyang as well. Like like how like Dongyang, like Dongyang, you should <laughs> yeah, yeah. Many things could happen into your life. Yeah. But you, yeah, you have to be aware of it, and you should carry on your life mm-hmm. with your best. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. okay. And for you, Chris, for as a cinematographer filming these scenes, like you talked about how there are some scenes where you had to pan out because you're trying to get the emotion and hold on to the emotionality of the scenes. Filming these scenes, you have to like. There's a composition to the scenes, and there's a way that this film is filmed. Um, I wanted to know. Was this film filmed with um, lens from that particular era? Because I know for like a lot of South Korean films from like the seventies, eighties, and the nineties, there's a very particular look to them. There's a very granular look to the to the film and a way that it's actually composed. Like if you, if you watch a film from like the early nineties, the way how filmmakers film shots is to me there's a there's a distinct difference if they were filmed now. Mm-hmm. So did you have like how did you go about framing the shots to like? Because, like, to me, like, so a part of cinematography is the only lighting and framing, but it has to do with how 
the camera works with the scene and works with the actors to make sure that we, the audience, feels the emotion and how the camera is placed. And because, like, you can just a slight shift in the angle can change, like, how me anyway interpret the scene because I'll be like, the, the perspective changes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> That's, um, I appreciate that. Um, it was, uh, I mean, as far as the lenses, I think, I'm pretty sure they were developed in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we also shot on Super 16 mil, which was something um, that was like a conscious choice to sort of create that feeling of the 90s, or at least our, Anthony and I's memories of that time. Um, but as far as the, the camera moves, it was, I mean, compositionally, we talked a lot. We, I, I think I was really privileged in having a lot of time. I think when Anthony first reached out to me, um, it was a, almost a full year before we were shooting. Mm. Um, so over that whole time, we were constantly discussing ideas, visually, um, inspirations, just anything that really came to mind. And uh, we talked a lot about um, photographers, still photography. Um, there's this one photographer in particular, she's actually a Japanese photographer, um, named Rinko Kawauchi, uh, who does just very delicate, very light um, photographs. They just have a certain sensitivity to them. Um, and they, it's hard to describe them, but it was a, a really strong influence for how we framed and how we shot, especially the earlier years of, um, in the 1990s. Um, but as far as how the camera was moving, it was, it, we just always came back to the idea of the father being in the room. That was really our North Star. Uh, if we ever felt lost or we were shooting a scene and for whatever reason something wasn't working, we would just take a second and step back and think and ask ourselves, what would the father be doing right now? If he was seeing this, would he want to be close to Dongyang? Would he want to be close to Soyang? Would he not want to be looking at what he's seeing? So pulling away from the scene and getting wide. Uh, that was really sort of the the guiding force to how we framed everything. And the thing with, um, South Korea has some amazing um, vistas. Like it's a gorgeous country to film. And like there's this scene, um, it's in the beginning where you have the the, um, mon- the monologue and like it's the, like it kind of like this um, ombre effect where it goes from like lilac to deep purple. Mm-hmm. And that's such a beautiful thing. But it, I think to like, where, for you, how much fun is it filming in a country like that where you have all of these beautiful mountains, the fog, the mist, and all of the greenery of the of the parts because like, there's so many like it kind of like change like goes to the whole color spectrum within one shot because yeah. of all because of how their topography is. Yeah, it's actually very stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it's stressful because you when you're in a place like that, you can literally point the camera anywhere and it's going to look great mm-hmm. at any time of day. Or like we would get up at six in the morning, and I don't know if we ever filmed anything that early, but it was just stunning. Like we were staying in the village that we actually shot in mm-hmm. and the way the sun would just come, like it wouldn't be just over the mountains and it would create these beams of light catching all the moisture in the air. And um, At night, the moon just like completely lit up the whole, like everything. And so you could see everything in this sort of steely blue glow. Mm-hmm. So it's stressful because you want to be capturing everything and you want to be like, oh, what if we put this scene here? What if we do this and this and this? And then there's never enough time. So, um, but I'm, it's, it's definitely a treat for me as mm. somebody who's actually captured. Going on from the theme of the mountains and the cinema, there's a story that Soyeon tells Simon. And it's a story about this, um, this old, this lady, this old woman who's dying. And it's during the, um, she is, she says it's during a time of like basically famine. So I was wondering if that was probably during the Korean War, like early in the Korean War, because like. I think, I think it comes from like earlier than that. Earlier, okay. You know, the country has struggled. Yeah. You know, a lot in the past. Probably during the um, occupation or even during like the. Yeah, maybe even earlier. I think that story is very old. It's mm. a very, very old fable. I think it's a fable. Um, I didn't even know about it. I only learned of that story during my writing process mm. and because, you know, I, I was talking to my mom a lot about our culture, our history, our family's history, um, and uh, Korean music and art and whatnot. And then, so as we're talking, and she knew, because she was reading the drafts I was writing, and she knew what, you know, where my head was at. So she would introduce 
different things you go like um to you know that she thought maybe could be of inspiration for the story for the film and, and then she there's that story is there's a an operatic version mm. of that story like where yes exactly and um and it's very emotional dramatic and it's and, and and they're singing and um and it, and she showed me this performance on tv and it was devastating to watch but like in the most beautiful way mm-hmm. and the story just messed me up because i thought wow like it just says so much about parent-child relationship our country's history you know like there's, there's, there's now apparently some evidence that this this was actually not... There wasn't actually a place. People didn't actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was more so a story that was created to... Like convey, a metaphor. Yeah, to convey certain ideas, messages. Uh, but nonetheless, it came out of this culture. I just thought it was so interesting. I thought... And, and because I already had written in that these the mother and son go up to this mountain to visit the grave... Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, what a coincidence. I mean, there must be a way to kind of tie that together. And I thought, what, you know, Simon comes over and goes, what's the deal? What's going on? And for her to share what's going on with her, her illness, I just thought, I just didn't think she would. I didn't think she was going to tell him. I was surprised that she actually told him everything. I was like, okay. Like, this shows, like, a level of trust that is actually surprising for that character because you, it, I think it would have been easy to make her a character who's very closed off mm-hmm. and very um, and shel- not sheltered, but um, very um, protective yeah. of her own of her story, especially of her own health. Because there's some people when they're sick, they don't like to share that people are sick because they see it as like not a weakness, but as a thing they don't want to burden other people with. Like how she told Doyoung, I wasn't expecting her to tell him in that moment. Actually, I don't think she was planning to. I thought she was going to tell him probably when they went home, but, but when she told him on her shows, I was like, wait, okay. Kind of blew my expectations out of the water. I'm like, I like this. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, I, I don't, she's going into it, she starts talking about something completely different, and I don't, I don't think it's, it's not until it all kind of blows up in her mm-hmm. face that she goes, it's now or never. Yeah. And she tells her, she tells him that way, but then with Simon too, I don't think she was so, she would be so interested in telling him about the illness is more so about why she can't marry him. Yeah. Why she can't be with him. And why she have to go back to Korea. Mm-hmm. And it's how does she make this man who's so devoted to her understand where she's coming from? And I think for her, it's you got to first understand. Like this is what I grew up with. It's it's this mentality. It's this story that represents me and and, and where I come from. Um, and so, yeah, and so I thought that that would be a really interesting way to, for her to reveal, you know, to make him understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just kind of worked out that tying at the very end. Mm, it, it does work out. So I know we don't have much time left. So like, I kind of want that to tie into my last question about, and it ties into the cinematography and all of, also the character of Soyeon. on how I think that scene at the very end, like after they do the, the ancestral rites at the gravesite, they but well before that like um Doyoung carries her you know he like for her for his entire life she's been carrying him as a mother she's supporting him she's carrying him and but, but in this moment when he's take when they're going to his father's gravesite he's carrying her and this is the first time he also sees her physical weakness because she's always been strong and he's like and she and he and she's like no we can't turn back we have to go but he carries her and piggyback rice <laughs> are such a, to, to some people it may seem trivial but to, I think it's there's something very profound about taking the weight of someone else completely on your own back especially for someone as young as he is because he's still a teenager he's not a grown man he doesn't have the body of a man and she's a full-grown adult but he's like he he takes her up the mountains for you like that scene before the grace and then the scene coming back down I love how that's the that's the symmetry to everything, whereas like to me, I didn't see that ending as sad. I can actually saw it as a positive thing because like they like it's like you have the story that you that you told Simon, which is like the the son leaves the mother there to die, and he only sees the pine needles on the trail back, and that's 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 sad. Like he took his mother to her to her death, but in this end, like I love the fact that he brings her back. He doesn't leave her. And like he doesn't, and he's not bringing her back to her death because she's gonna die eventually. But 
she still, it, to me, it took it as Soyoung has so much more to teach him and he has so much more to learn. And like, this is his time to actually be supportive of his mother. So like, can you talk about playing those two particular scenes, like the going up to the mount to the grave and returning back from the grave? That was intense. Mm. That was intense. <laughs> but at the same time, we went with the flow mm. somehow. Everything was just like so like at the that was the last day of our shooting. So every everybody knew how to work mm. together. And I me or I was so so young and Ethan was so Donghyun, so every everything just like so naturally, so like just like it was intense scene, but it it goes really well. Mm -hmm. It went really well. Also at the grave, we we shoot the scene only one take. Oh, most yeah. of those we only yeah. do one take of. Yeah, that mountain. Oh, that's actually because I was wondering like how long did he have to take you on his back? <laughs> yeah. No, it was kind of like up and down the mountain, all that stuff. It was kind of just like did it almost in real time. Mm. It felt like yeah. well, we also didn't shoot it over multiple days, right? And yeah. we had to hit certain scenes at a certain time of day for the light. Mm. So yeah, we were really just kind of going for it mm. as soon as it started. Yeah, we we were so concentrated what we are doing mm. right now. So yeah. It just, yeah. It just works out. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's this, you know, ob the obvious thing about this film is that it has to do with an immigrant family. But to me, it's not really about the immigrant story. It's more so about um, generational trauma yeah. and undealt grief. Mm -hmm. And it's the ending. I mean, I think you're, you nailed it on the head when you said, you know, like, there's something hopeful about it. She's going to die. Yeah. But so is he. Yeah, they're all going to die eventually. Yeah, like, <laughs> so it's like, let's not get too hung up on yeah. the inevitable death of this character because it's not really what it's about. Mm -hmm. But instead, I think the, the real tragedy of these characters is they're, they're, they don't have a home. These two people, they've been floating. They have no base. They've no, um, they're disconnected from their true heritage and identity and culture. That's tragic. Mm -hmm. But by the end, you know, through this experience, they get to find all those things, and 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 when they walk away, it's, it's they finally found what they've been looking for this whole time, and and the idea of home, you know, like I'm someone who grew up everywhere. I lived everywhere. I I moved around so much that the physical space has never represented home to mm. me. Um, as corny as that saying is, you know, um, I want to say it because I'm. You know, it's so horny. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. No, say Yeah. yeah I don't know. You know, home, like, home is my heart. Is. Well, that's true. Um, right? <laughs> but it's not horny. It's true. Because um, like, I just, I've been here 14 years. Yeah. And Toronto is home. Canada is home. But it's not home. Yeah. It's, and there's a very diff there's a very visceral sense of longing that you always have mm -hmm. for where your home is. Like, I'm, like, in Barbados, we have a saying where you say, um, home is where my navel string is buried. Right, and that's like meaning your umbilical cord because yeah, in the yeah. African culture, like you bury um, the, the umbilical cord and the placenta. But for us, that like, we say um, home, like our middle string is buried there. That's that will always be home. And you, after sometimes, like there's just you, you're fine for a length of time, but then there's a period of time where you just miss home and you want to go back. Like I, I was the early this year was was hard for me, and I was just missing home. And I looked at my sister. My, I live with my twin sister. And I said, sure, I need to go home. I'm like, I have to go home. And I got to go home in April. And it's not home in like the house where my mom and my brother live, but it's just the island, the atmosphere. Yeah. It's, it's different. You know, it feels, the air literally feels different. The food tastes different. I can make the same traditional dishes here, but it's not the same because the, the vegetables aren't grown in like, the soil at home. The water is the water is the water tastes different. The fish when you when the fish when you take the fish from out of the sea and roast it on the sea on the beach, it's not gonna be the same as if I roast fish on the stove. It, it's not. Mm -hmm. And you know, just seeing everyone, people seeing all the people who look like you and sound like you and hearing your dialect and your accent. And like like it's automatic for me. As soon as I land on the plane, like I start speaking my dialect and my accent and I don't stop. Yeah. And it's like a switch you turn on. 
And like, so yeah, home, it's not corny. It's true. Like home is where the heart is. And I think for the film, like that's where, that's really what it's about. It's about finding home and it's about finding home where your family is and where you're welcome. Because I love that his, that, um, one chick's family is, well, except for the mother, but you're guessing, I'm guessing that's because she kind of like, I kind of read it as she had a mental break after his death. So she hasn't been the same since, but like his father and his, and his brother welcomed them. You know, they immediately, they're like, who are you? And she's like, oh, this is my, um, this is one chick's son. And they're like, okay, well, cool. Come in, have some dinner. You know, and like, that's what it's about. It's about, that's where home is. Home is like where you're welcomed. Home is where you have the people who love you for who you are. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to pretend to be anyone, to be someone that you're not. You don't have to drop your accent. You don't have to drop your dialect. You don't have to drop your name to be accepted. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to force yourself to fit in. I think you understood the movie really well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's, it's refreshing <laughs> to speak with someone who really, you know, understood the nuances and all mm. the details of it all. Yeah. But yes, it's, it's a good movie. It is. Yeah. No. It's rare. He's like, he's like, he's like, but it, it is. Sometimes, I mean, if you watch it a gazillion times, you, you know, sometimes you wonder. Yeah. And we're talking about this, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, some good stuff in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really well. No, you, you, I think you all did a fantastic job, especially you, Sonia. I'm so impressed by your, um, by the fact that this is your first film. And it's not, and it's such a heavy film to do for, for, for a first-time actress. Like, it has so much, like, emotional depth to it and so much weight you have to carry. So like, I think you did a phenomenal job. So applause to you and pat yourself on the back. <laughs> so I think you all did. So like, I, I just like how everything, everything. I wish we had more time because like, I have like a whole list of like long questions and stuff, but we don't have time <laughs> um, to get through. But um, but thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about the film and about your work. And I hope you guys like, have like a fantastic time. For, well, the festival is ending tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but for but for going forward, like whatever you want to do, like much success. So everyone, that was my episode of Caroline Toss where I spoke to writer and director Anthony Shim, actress Chae Sun Yoon, and cinematographer Christopher Liu about their new film Rice Boy Sleeps, which had its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival 2022. As I said at the beginning of this episode, I had a terrific time and honestly I really did. It was really fun to talk to them and it was really nice to ha- to get a film that shows the immigrant experience um for, i think from a, a very unique per- perspective and it's something that is, that is very dear to my heart and is and it's kind of hard not to always talk about it because i am an immigrant and i know this is a discussion that many immigrants and many people face when they move to new countries especially in north america and in canada where you're thinking okay like how many years after living in a country do i stop considering myself an immigrant i'm just a canadian and the thing is for me personally i can't stop thinking of myself as an immigrant because i'm a barbadian i grew up in barbados i moved to canada at the age of 26 so i my identity is barbadian i'll always be barbadian and i can't separate my identity from being barbadian so i always consider myself an immigrant in canada i'm a canadian i have canadian citizenship and i do consider canada home but it's not home home if you know what i mean so i'm always drawn to films like this because this is just a part of my identity that i'll always not struggle with but i'll always think for think about first because it's something that i'm always cognizant of you know it's something i always think of especially where i'm home and i'm speaking in my barbadian dialect with my twin sister or i'm talking to my family and my friends on the phone and i hear a barbadian accent and i'm like these are my people and then when i go outside and i go to like the mall to the cinema to other and or even when i do interviews like this and everyone that i'm speaking to is not a barbadian you know like they don't have barbadian accents i remember okay i am not home i'm not in barbados so i always I'm always drawn to films like this and I'm always appreciative of directors and writers and actors and all the crew on all the people who work on these films who bring forward a story that while it may not necessarily be about a Barbadian immigrant it's a it's an immigrant story which is very universal and there's some there there are things about the immigrant experience that is very universal and is only something that other immigrants can understand and I always want to speak to directors and, and creatives about these kind of films because I think it's important that other people get to learn about what it means to be an immigrant in the world that we live in, what it means to be an immigrant, a person of color 
in a country like Canada in North America, you know. So I I will always be interested in talking to people about these kind of films. And I'll always be doing interviews because I think it's important that people get to learn these perspectives. So I, I appreciate the time that Anthony and Che Sung Yoon and... Christopher took to speak to me and I hope you guys really enjoyed this interview and this is not my usual wrap up but I just thought I had to share that and um, you can find the rest of my TIFF coverage on So Here's What Happened podcast on ACAS Google podcast play what am I saying the Google podcast platform as well as on um, Spotify and other podcast streaming platforms you can find the video version of this episode on my YouTube channel, which is on my name, Carolyn Hines, C-R-O-L-Y-N-H-I-N-D-S, and my other interviews that I did for TIFF, as well as for other festival coverage throughout the year and in previous years. Um, I'm a member of AFCA, so you can find my segments of the virtual roundtables we've been doing for the last few years under the AFCA virtual roundtable playlist tab in my YouTube channel, as well as you can go on the AFCA YouTube channel to watch the full um, interviews that we do for that. And you can also find other interviews of Karen and Talks, which are not festival related, but where I speak to independent filmmakers about their work. And Beyond the Romance, which is my Asian drama podcast, I do YouTube ver- versions of those as well as podcast versions. So you can go on different podcast streaming platforms and look for Beyond the Romance. And that's the podcast for that. And there's a playlist in my YouTube channel as well. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at CarrieCNH12. That's C-R-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2. And you can find my most recent work, um, usually in my pin tweets and I tweet about um, film, TV shows, music, you know, random stuff, politics occasionally. And you can follow my hashtags as SHWHTIFF22 on Twitter and Instagram to look for my other festival coverage from this year. Um, Saturday Night Cypher, which is the live tweet session that me and my co-host do every Saturday night at 10 p.m. Eastern where we live tweet a film or a TV show from around the world within the sci-fi genre. And occasionally, I haven't done it in a while, but occasionally I live tweet dramas using the hashtag dramas with Carrie. And I think that's it. I'm going to wrap up now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Carolyn Talks. And for everyone who has taken the time to listen to me and enjoy my podcast, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And until the next episode, stay safe.